Today's reading is from Acts 13.22. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Carrie, for reading our scripture lesson this morning. Again, we appreciate you, Warren. <laughs> As we have heard God's word, let us now seek its meaning for our lives together. Ask for God's Holy Spirit to lead us in that. Let's pray. Gracious God, we gather here as your people in the midst of a world that just seems to be in chaos. And in every report we hear on the news, everything we see, it just causes us to scratch our heads and wonder. And yet we know, God, that you have a will for our lives. We know that you are still ultimately in control of life in this world. And you call us to be your people in the midst of it. So we turn to your word and we seek its meaning for our life, instruction, wisdom, power to, to live as your disciples. I pray, God, that you will use the word today to further shape us in accordance with your will. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're actually wrapping up a series of sermons that we began a couple of weeks ago about seeking God. And the aim of this series has really been about finding your heart's true home. Years ago, the Christian philosopher Blaise Pascal talked about what he referred to, or I guess what's been coined, referred to as the, uh, a God-shaped vacuum within every human being. And when we talk about this God-shaped vacuum and how human beings respond to that, Pascal said, this, he described it this way, he said, this he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help. Since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. So Pascal is saying that within us all is this, this void, an emptiness, an infinite abyss that can only be filled, fulfilled by a relationship with God. Similar to what St. Augustine of Hippo said centuries ago when he said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. This is our heart's true home. This is what we were created for. Uh, This is where we belong in a personal relationship with the God who created us. And the best thing for us to do when it comes to yourself and when it comes to the world around you is to make it your devotion uh, through your every effort, through every uh, ability you have to seek God in your life because that's the only place you find your heart's true home. In week one of our series, we talked about seeking God's face, which is really about seeking God's presence in our daily lives. It means that every day and throughout every day, we're turning our eyes toward Jesus. We're acknowledging God's presence in our lives. Last week, we talked about seeking God's hands, that we're really about seeking God's power and God's protection and God's provision in our life. But 
you know, when it comes to seeking God, a lot of people think that seeking God is just, you know, you go off some mountaintop, you just look at the beauty and you soak it in, you see God's glory, and that's, that's fine and wonderful. But as we've tried to, to teach you, that it's, seeking God is so much more than that. Uh, it's breaking the fallow ground in your life. It is surrendering every aspect of your life to, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. And as we saw last week, that involves repentance. It involves obedience. It involves persistence. So we looked at how we are to seek the face of God and how we are to seek the hands of God. This week we're going to be talking about how we <clears throat> seek the heart of God. And what seeking the heart of God really boils down to is trying to live your life according to the priorities of God. <clears throat> In other words, that which matters most to God becomes that which matters most to you. When we seek what matters most to God in life. When you seek to live according to God's priorities, what you discover is that that relationship that you're longing for with God, it begins to blossom. You naturally experience more of God in your life when we do these things. One of my favorite pastors or preachers of the past is uh, St. John Chrysostom. And he lived around fourth century time, and uh, he was known for being such a great preacher. Um, He actually got uh, referred to by many as the one with the golden voice. He was known for his preaching, but he was also known for so much more than that. uh, as a powerful and and influential leader within the early Christian church. And in the early days of his Christian life, he got wrapped up, I guess, kind of caught up in the fad of the day that was going on amongst the church. And that is that if you wanted to be really spiritual, I mean, be really spiritual, then, then you left everything you had and you went out into the desert and lived as a hermit. So like the monks have done, except you're kind of living on your own out there. And so that's what he did. And it involved devoting yourself to constant prayer and constant Bible study. And you denied yourself of not only every luxury that you could imagine, but even the basic things of every day, such as eating a normal meal, uh, sitting down to rest, laying down when you sleep. He spent two years in the desert standing up, literally. He even slept standing up. Uh, you know, all of this was in an attempt to seek God and to learn and know more of God's presence in his life. Actually, the, the, the combination of those harsh conditions and this brutal uh, diet he was, I mean, this lifestyle he was living, it, it, it had permanent damage to his stomach and his kidneys. He, the rest of his life, he had uh, physical ailments that he was struggled, plagued with. But after two years of this desert experience, he realizes that, you know, this brutal, harsh, nomadic life is really getting me nowhere, except a lot of pain. <laughs> and so uh, he decides to leave the desert. He comes back to Antioch, his home, and he gets involved in an ordination process to become a preacher within the church. Now, the reason that I admire Christensen so much is, is not because he was the wisest guy on the block. I mean, it took him two years out in the desert trying to, trying to figure, out, figure this out. Uh, it's because of what happened afterwards in his life and uh, what he stood for at the end of his life and all throughout uh, his ministry. Within a few years, after coming back from the desert uh, to Antioch, he began preaching in the churches around there. And many of the people who heard him preach were surprised because he, he wasn't preaching in a way that they expected him to or at least they were accustomed to hearing other preachers preach. He didn't use these theological dissertations with lots of allegories and and, uh, metaphors and symbolism. Rather, he just preached the plain, practical application of the simple truth of the gospel. 
instead of challenging people to run off to the desert so that they might starve themselves and experience more of God, uh, he, he challenged people just to live out their faith right where they are, to love one another, to love God and live out that faith right where they are. Instead of uh, trying to raise funny money for the great cathedrals to God, uh, he actually set up a network of hospitals in Constantinople that were providing medical care to the poor and to those who were sick. In one of his sermons, he said this, Do you wish to honor the body of Christ? Then do not ignore him when he is naked. Do not pay him homage in the temple clad in silk, only to neglect him outside where he is cold and ill-clad. He who said, this is my body, is the same one who said, you saw me hungry and you gave me no food. And it is he who said, whatever you did to the least of my brothers, you did also to me. What good is it if the Eucharist table is overloaded with golden chalices when your brother is dying of hunger? Start by satisfying his hunger. Then with what is left, you may adorn the altar as well. I love Christensen's story because it's about the transformation of a man who began his search for God, um, going out the desert, seeking a life of solitude, or religious rituals and regulations, to becoming a man whose life and ministry was all about pursuing the heart of God and putting into practice the priorities of God. It's a very similar story to what you read about the Apostle Paul, who um, was transformed from a pious Pharisee to that of an apostle of God's grace to the Gentiles. It's a very similar story that we read in John Wesley's story, the founder of Methodism, who was transformed from seeking God through good works and rigorous spiritual disciplines to becoming one who pursued the heart of God in response to God's love and grace in his life. Listen, seeking God's presence in the quietness of solitude through prayer I mean, that's a wonderful thing to do, and that should be a regular part of your uh, spiritual practice. Worshiping God in the beauty of the sanctuary, whether it's here in this sanctuary or whether it's the beauty of nature outside, those are wonderful things to do, and that should be a key part of your spiritual practice. But there's a much deeper level to seeking God than just that. And I think it's something all of us must be willing to pursue. That is seeking the heart of God by Developing your life along the things that really matter most to God. Seeking God means saying, God, I realize I need more of you in my life. I, I long for more of you in my life. I want your power. I want your, your protection. I want your provision in my life. I want to live according to your will and your priorities. Because the things that matter most to you now matter most to me. When living a life seeking the heart of God, our heart begins to break for the things that are breaking the heart of God. And so the question is, what is it that matters most to God? What are the things that are breaking the heart of God around you? What is it that really touches God's heart, that pleases God? Is it that we show our dedication to God by going off in the desert and starving ourselves? Or is it something else? I think the scriptures point to the fact that it's clearly something else. And so today I want to lift up three things that I think really matter to God. These are three things that should be at the top of our priority list because they are definitely at the top of God's priority list. 
this is this is an exhaustive list. You could probably come up with other things, but I think this is a good foundation for we just, us to start our journey in seeking God's presence of our life. First of all, if you want to seek God's heart, you will love as God loves. When Jesus is asked that question by the uh, lawyer, which is the greatest commandment of all that we should live by, and how can I get eternal life? He said very plainly and straightforward, it is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. The Christian life above everything else is supposed to be about love. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. The Apostle Paul said, there is faith, there's hope, and there's love, but the greatest of these is love. Love should be the defining mark of who we are. It should be the driving force behind all that we do. I mean, why do we worship God? Why do we come here on Sunday morning and worship God? Because God is worthy? Absolutely. Because we're commanded to do so? Absolutely. But there's one step higher in worshiping God is that you worship God because your heart is bursting with love for God. And that's what God wants more than anything else. It's not obligation. It's a celebration. And I'm not talking about an emotionalism kind of worship that you see some people doing it. I'm talking about something that comes from a deep connection and abiding relationship that you have with God on an ongoing basis. We express, we celebrate our love for God based on our thanksgiving to God, our gratitude for all that God has done. I mean, you walk out on the morning like this, you say, my, what a beautiful morning. But there's something entirely different when you walk outside and you say, my, what a beautiful morning that God has given us all to enjoy. It's not just a difference in how you phrase it. Uh, It's having a view of the world that is fueled by your love for God. And your awareness that all things come from God. He is the giver of all good gifts. So God wants you to love him. But God didn't just want us to love him. He also wants us to love one another. I once heard it said, you can never make eye contact with another human being that does not matter to God. I think sometimes we forget that. Um, In the same way that God loves those who go to church every Sunday morning and sing his praises, God also loves those who wake up on Sunday too hungover to come to church. In the same way that God loves those who contemplate him day and night, God loves those who never give him a second thought. In the same way that God loves you, God loves the person who's sitting next to you. And God loves the person who irritates you. Uh, God loves the person whose faults are much more visible than your faults. That person who looks different, who thinks different, who talks differently than you do. Just as God's dream for you is that you respond to his love and that you grow more into the person that he's created you to be, that you become more like his son Jesus every day, God also longs that for every human being that he's ever created. So just as God wants your life to be all about loving him, he also wants your life to be about loving others. Even to the extent of loving your enemies. Even to the extent of loving those whom society would call the least. 
to be clear, loving your enemies doesn't mean that you, you uh, surrender to your enemies. It doesn't mean that you abandon your personal boundaries. It just means that when you have the opportunity to do something good, something loving toward that person you might consider to be an enemy, you do it because you know that's the heart of God. You know that's what God's will for your life is. Seeking the heart of God means that you make your life all about love, loving God above everything else. But it's also about loving your neighbor as you love yourself. That leads us to the next priority, which is seeking the heart of God means that you will make your life all about serving others. Now, it takes a different step than just loving others. It's, it's not enough just to say, I love people. You know, I love everybody as long as they stay out of my way, as long as they don't mess with me. <laughs> you know, I, I love people. <laughs> I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind when he talked to us about the loving one another. Jesus said, Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Central to the priorities of God is loving one another, devoting your life towards serving others, just as Jesus did. In Mark's gospel, we read, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So our lives are to be all about serving others as best we can. This is why Peter says each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. So whatever it is that you've been blessed with, your abilities, your talents, your gifts, your opportunities, you're to use those things not just for yourself, but also for the benefit of others. Because that's God's will for us. Can you imagine what your workplace would be like? How it might be revolutionized if you had people within it who live by the attitude, what can I do to help you? When it comes to customers, when it comes to fellow workers, if everybody lived with that attitude, or even a few did, how you could revolutionize your workplace? Can you imagine how some marriages and some families would be turned around if you had someone within that family that said, you know, because of my love for you and my love for God, I'm going to look for opportunities to serve you. Can you imagine the impact that a church could have on the community if the people of the church live with that attitude, what can we do for you? How can we serve you? We're here for you. Jesus said just as he served others, he gave us the example because he's calling us to do the same. And as you do it unto the least of these, my brothers and sisters, he said, <clears throat> you do it unto me. Seeking God's heart means that we begin to care about what God cares most about which is serving others so that they might come to know God's love for them. But there's one more priority that I want to take a look at this morning. And it's clear God wants us to love. He wants us to love God. He wants us to love others. But I think it's also important to recognize that if you're going to seek God's heart, you're going to get serious about a life of holiness. When God chose David to be king, this is what he said. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, he would do everything I want him to do. The American Standard Bible says it this way. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. You see the, the, the pattern there? You see the uh, correlation here? Those who seek God's heart are going to do God's will. They're going to do what God wants, God, what wants them to do. You see... Whether you recognize it or not, the goal of the Christian life 
It's not just to receive God's grace and love and then go on about our happy lives. The goal of the Christian life is in response to God's love, we are going to try to become more like Jesus every day of our lives. In the Methodist Church, we call that the process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ every day. With the help of God's Holy Spirit, with God's grace at work in our life, that's what happens. We are transformed inwardly. We become to be more like Christ in our living. We're more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. That's the goal of the Christian life. Now, of course, <clears throat> that total and permanent transformation doesn't happen until we enter into heaven with God. But until that day, God expects us to be engaged in this process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus every day. In other words, God wants us to be serious about living a life of holiness. He wants us to be serious about doing his will. You know, we know this. We've been taught this. If you've been in the church, you've heard that over and over again from the time you were little. But I think we get confused about this in a lot of ways. We get much more concerned about seeking out and identifying and judging the faults of others than we want to look at our own faults. Uh, We forget that God's priority is for you to become more holy. So as far as everybody else is concerned, (laughs) um, your holiness should matter a whole lot more than everybody else's holiness. I love the story we find after the resurrection. uh, Jesus is talking to Peter. He comes and tries to restore him back to leadership and offer him forgiveness. And he warns him about all the things coming in the future. And in the midst of that conversation, Peter turns to Jesus. He looks over at John. He says, well, what about him? such a typical human response, isn't it, you know? Uh, we, we so tend to want to focus on others than look at ourselves. Uh, I love Peter because of that. We see ourselves in him so readily. But uh, you remember what Jesus said to Peter, how he responded? He said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. In other words, don't worry about John's holiness, <laughs> I mean, John's got his own journey of holiness to deal with. You need to be concerned about yourself. I'm more concerned about the person that you're willing to become, Peter. There are a lot of people who spend their life in ministry focused on the holiness of others. Or more correctly, I should put it, the, the lack of holiness of others. But as far as you and I are concerned, God is mostly concerned about your own holiness and the person that you are becoming in your journey toward holiness. God's priority is for you not to become the world's critic of others, but rather that you become the world's example of what the power of God can do in a person's life who is seeking God every day. Seeking the heart of God means that you're going to strive to build your life on the priorities of God, which is to love God above everything else, to love others. It is to serve God by serving others. And every day you move in that direction of holiness. You're seeking to become more like Jesus. You're doing all of God's will in your life. When it comes to seeking God, it's, it's so much more than often what we think of it as. It's more than going off to a mountain or going off to a seashore or or some spiritual retreat or some other place in order to to see the glory of God or experience it in solitude. All those are important. We need to go to the mountaintop as often as we can. We need to seek out those spiritual retreats where we're renewed. Those are all important, but that's not all there is when it comes to seeking God. 
There's so much more. Seeking the fullness of God means that you come out of the prayer closet. You come out of the sanctuary and you get into the streets where the people are, where God is at work. Seeking more of the fullness of God means that you exit the desert. You go back to Antioch and you start to serve God where you are. Seeking the heart of God means that you commit to building your life upon the priorities of God. The things that matter most to God now matter the most to you. Which is loving God. Loving others. Serving God by serving others. And you walk with him daily down that path of holiness. Doing all of God's will. As Micah said, the prophet, he says, He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God every day. If we will make this our life's quest to seek more of God, you will find him. You will experience more of God in your life. And you will find your heart's true home that we all long for. Let us pray together. Lord God, we confess that after we have looked in so many other places, after the wrong places, we acknowledge that there's this void within us that drives us to hunger and thirst for fulfillment. And we often look at the wrong places. God, help us to turn our eyes to you, to seek you every day, to become more like you, to experience the life that you have us to experience, to, to have your heart for the world around us. God, we offer ourselves to you. We offer our world to you, our church, that the brokenness may be healed as we turn our eyes toward you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.